This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, and to find out how you can volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Mysteries of Udolpho by Anne Radcliffe. Volume 2, Chapter 6, Part 3 of 3. In spite of Montoni, cried Emily eagerly, what is it I hear? You hear that Montoni is a villain, exclaimed Morano with vehemence. A villain who would have sold you to my love, who— And is he less who would have bought me, said Emily, fixing on the Count an eye of calm contempt. Leave the room, sir, instantly, she continued in voice, trembling between joy and fear, or I will alarm the family, and you may receive that from Signor Montoni's vengeance, which I would have vainly supplicated from his pity. But Emily knew that she was beyond the hearing of those who might protect her. You can never hope anything from his pity, said Morano. He has used me infamously, and my vengeance shall pursue him. And for you, Emily, for you, he has new plans, more profitable than the last, no doubt. The gleam of hope, which the Count's former speech had revived, was now nearly extinguished by the latter, and while Emily's countenance betrayed the emotions of her mind, he endeavored to take advantage of the discovery. I lose time, said he. I came not to exclaim against Montoni. I came to solicit, to plead, to Emily, to tell her all I suffer, to entreat her to save me from despair and herself from destruction. Emily, the schemes of Montoni are insearchable, but I warn you, they are terrible. He has no principle when interest or ambition leads. Can I love you and abandon you to his power? Fly then, fly from this gloomy prison with a lover who adores you. I have bribed a servant of the castle to open the gates, and before tomorrow's dawn, you shall be far on the way to Venice. Emily, overcome by the sudden shock she had received at the moment, too, when she had begun to hope for better days, now thought she saw destruction surround her on every side. Unable to reply, and almost to think, she threw herself into a chair, pale and breathless. That Montoni had formerly sold her to Murano was very probable. That he had now withdrawn his consent to the marriage was evident from the Count's present conduct, and it was nearly certain that a scheme of stronger interest only could have induced the selfish Montoni to forgo a plan which he had hitherto so strenuously pursued. These reflections made her tremble at the hints which Murano had just given, which she no longer hesitated to believe and while she shrunk from the new scenes of misery and oppression that might await her in the castle of Udolpho, she was compelled to observe that almost her only means of escaping them was by submitting herself to the protection of this man, with whom evils more certain and not less terrible appeared, evils upon which she could not endure to pause for an instant. Her silence, though it was of agony, encouraged the hopes of Murano, who watched her countenance with impatience, took again the resisting hand she had withdrawn, and as he pressed it to his heart, again conjured her to determine immediately. Every moment we lose will make our departure more dangerous, said he. These few moments lost may enable Montoni to overtake us. I beseech you, sir, be silent, said Emily faintly. I am indeed very wretched, and wretched I must remain. Leave me, I command you, leave me to my fate. Never, cried the Count vehemently, let me perish first. 
but forgive my violence. The thought of losing you is madness. You cannot be ignorant of Montoni's character. You may be ignorant of his schemes. Nay, you must be so, or you would not hesitate between my love and his power. Nor do I hesitate, said Emily. Let us go then, said Morano, eagerly kissing her hand and rising. My carriage waits below the castle walls. You mistake me, sir, said Emily. Allow me to thank you for the interest you express in my welfare, and to decide by my own choice. I shall remain under the protection of Signor Montoni. Under his protection? exclaimed Morano proudly. His protection? Emily? Why will you suffer yourself to be thus deluded? I have already told you what you have to expect from his protection. And pardon me, sir, if in this instance I doubt mere assertion, and to be convinced require something approaching to proof. I have now neither the time or the means of adducing proof, replied the Count. Nor have I, sir, the inclination to listen to it if you had. But you trifle with my patience and my distress, continued Morano. Is a marriage with a man who adores you so very terrible in your eyes, that you would prefer to it all the misery to which Montoni may condemn you in this remote prison? Some wretch must have stolen those affections which ought to be mine, or you would not thus obstinately persist in refusing an offer that would place you beyond the reach of oppression. Morano walked about the room with quick steps and a disturbed air. This discourse, Count Morano, sufficiently proves that my affections ought not to be yours, said Emily mildly, and this conduct, that I should not be placed beyond the reach of oppression so long as I remained in your power. If you wish me to believe otherwise, cease to oppress me any longer by your presence. If you refuse this, you will compel me to expose you to the resentment of Signor Montoni. Yes, let him come! cried Morano furiously, and brave my resentment. Let him dare to face once more the man he has so courageously injured. Danger shall teach him morality and vengeance justice. Let him come, and receive my sword in his heart. The vehemence with which this was uttered gave Emily new cause of alarm, who rose from her chair, but her trembling frame refused to support her, and she resumed her seat. The words died on her lips, and when she looked wistfully toward the door of the corridor, which was locked, she considered it was impossible for her to leave the apartment before Morano would be apprised of, and able to counteract her intention. Without observing her agitation, he continued to pace the room in utmost perturbation of spirits. His darkened countenance expressed all the rage of jealousy and revenge, and a person who has seen his features up under the smile of ineffable tenderness which he so lately assumed, would now scarcely have believed them to be the same. Count Morano, said Emily, at length recovering her voice, calm, I entreat you, these transports, and listen to reason, if you will not to pity. You have equally misplaced your love and your hatred. I never could have returned the affection with which you honor me, and certainly have never encouraged it, neither has Signor Montoni injured you for you must have known that he had no right to dispose of my hand, had he even possessed the power to do so. Leave then, leave the castle while you may with safety. Spare yourself the dreadful consequences of an unjust revenge, and the remorse of having prolonged to me these moments of suffering. 
"'Is it for mine or for Montoni's safety that you are thus alarmed?' said Morano coldly, and turning towards her with a look of acrimony. "'For both,' said Emily in a trembling voice. "'Unjust revenge!' cried the Count, resuming the abrupt tones of passion. "'Who that looks upon that face can imagine a punishment adequate to the injury he would have done me? "'Yes, I will leave the castle, but it shall not be alone. I have trifled too long.' Since my prayers and my sufferings cannot prevail, force shall. I have people in waiting, who shall convey you to my carriage. Your voice will bring no succour. It cannot be heard from this remote part of the castle. Submit, therefore, in silence, to go with me. This was an unnecessary injunction at present, for Emily was too certain that her call would avail her nothing, and terror had so entirely disordered her thoughts that she knew not how to plead to Murano, but sat mute and trembling in her chair, till he advanced to lift her from it. When she suddenly raised herself, and with a repulsive gesture and a countenance of forced serenity, said, Count Morano, I am now in your power, but you will observe that this is not the conduct which can win the esteem you appear so solicitous to obtain, and that you are preparing for yourself a load of remorse in the miseries of a friendless orphan, which can never leave you, do you believe your heart to be indeed so hardened that you can look without emotion on the suffering to which you would condemn me? Emily was interrupted by the growling of the dog, who now came again from the bed, and Morano looked towards the door of the staircase, where no person appearing, he cried aloud, Cesario! Emily, said the Count, why will you reduce me to adopt this conduct? How much more willingly would I persuade than compel you to become my wife? But by heaven, I will not leave you to be sold by Montoni. Yet a thought glances across my mind that brings madness with it. I know not how to name it. It is preposterous. It cannot be. Yet you tremble. You grow pale. It is. It is so. You, you love Montoni, cried Morano, grasping Emily's wrist and stamping his foot on the floor. An involuntary air of surprise appeared on her countenance. If you have indeed believed so, said she, believe so still. That look, those words confirm it, exclaimed Morano furiously. No, 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 Montoni had a richer prize in view than gold, but he shall not live to triumph over me. This very instant he was interrupted by the loud barking of the dog. Stay, Count Morano, said Emily, terrified by his words and by the fury expressed in his eyes. I will save you from this error. Of all men, Signor Montoni is not your rival, though if I find all other means of saving myself vain, I will try whether my voice may not arouse his servants to my succour. Assertion, replied Morano, at such a moment, is not to be depended upon. How could I suffer myself to doubt, even for an instant, that he could see you and not love? But my first care shall be to convey you from the castle. Cesario! Ho! Cesario! A man now appeared at the door of the staircase, and other steps were heard ascending. Emily uttered a loud shriek as Morano hurried her across the chamber, and at the same moment she heard a noise at the door that opened upon the corridor. The Count paused an instant, as if his mind was suspended between love and the desire of vengeance, and in that instant the door gave way, and Montoni, followed by the old steward and several other persons, burst into the room. Draw, cried Montoni to the Count, who 
who did not pause for a second bidding, but giving Emily into the hands of the people that appeared from the staircase, turned fiercely round. "'This in thine heart, villain,' said he, as he made a thrust at Montoni with his sword, who parried the blow and aimed another while some of the persons who had followed him into the room endeavoured to part the combatants, while others rescued Emily from the hands of Morano's servants. "'Was it for this, Count Morano?' said Montoni in a cool, sarcastic tone of voice, "'that I received you under my roof and permitted you, though my declared enemy, to remain under it for the night?' Was it that you may repay my hospitality with the treachery of a fiend, and rob me of my niece? Who talks of treachery, said Morano, in a tone of unrestrained vehemence. Let him that does show an unblushing face of innocence. Montoni, you are a villain. If there is treachery in this affair, look to yourself as the author of it. If, do I say, I, whom you have wronged with unexampled baseness, whom you have injured almost beyond redress. But why do I use words? Come on, coward, and receive justice at my hands. Coward? cried Montoni, bursting from the people who held him, and rushing on the count. When they both retreated into the corridor, where the fight continued so desperately that none of the spectators dared approach them, Montoni swearing that the first who interfered should fall by his sword. Jealousy and revenge lent all their fury to Morano, while the superior skill in the temperance of Montoni enabled him to wound his adversary, whom his servants now attempted to seize, but he would not be restrained, and regardless of his wound, continued to fight. He seemed to be both insensible both of pain and loss of blood, and alive only to the energy of his passions. Montoni, on the contrary, persevered in the combat with a fierce, yet weary valor. He received the point of Murano's sword in his arm, but almost in the same instant severely wounded and disarmed him. The Count then fell back into the arms of his servant, while Montoni held his sword over him, and bade him ask his life. Murano, sinking under the anguish of his wound, had scarcely replied by a gesture, and by a few words, feebly articulated that he would not, when he fainted and Montoni was then going to have plunged the sword into his breast as he lay senseless, but his arm was arrested by Cavigny. To the interruption he yielded without much difficulty, but his complexion changed almost to blackness as he looked upon his fallen adversary and ordered that he should be carried instantly from the castle. In the meantime, Emily, who had been withheld from leaving the chamber during the affray, now came forward into the corridor and pleaded a cause of common humanity with the feelings of the warmest benevolence when she entreated Montoni to allow Morano the assistance in the castle which his situation required. But Montoni, who had seldom listened to pity, now seemed rapacious of vengeance, and with a monstrous cruelty again ordered his defeated enemy to be taken from the castle in his present state, though there were only the woods or a solitary neighboring cottage to shelter him from the night. The Count's servants having declared that they would not move him till he revived, Montoni stood inactive, Cavigny remonstrating, and Emily, superior to Montoni's menaces, giving water to Morano, and directing the attendants to bind up his wound. At length, Montoni had leisure to feel pain from his own hurt, and he withdrew to examine it. The Count, meanwhile, having slowly recovered, the first object he saw 
on raising his eyes, was Emily, bending over him with a countenance strongly expressive of solicitude. He surveyed her with a look of anguish. I have deserved this, said he, but not from Montoni. It is from you, Emily, that I have deserved punishment, yet I receive only pity. He paused, for he had spoken with difficulty. After a moment he proceeded. I must resign you, but not to Montoni. Forgive me the sufferings I have already occasioned you. But for that villain, his infamy shall not go unpunished. Carry me from this place, said he to his servants. I am in no condition to travel. You must, therefore, take me to the nearest cottage, for I will not pass the night under his roof, although I may expire on the way from it. Cesario proposed to go out and inquire for a cottage that might receive his master before he attempted to remove him, but Morano was impatient to be gone. The anguish of his mind seemed to be even greater than that of his wound, and he rejected with disdain the offer of Cavini to entreat Montoni that he might be suffered to pass the night in the castle. Cesario was now going to call up the carriage to the great gate, but the Count forbade him. I cannot bear the motion of the carriage, said he. Call some others of my people, that they may assist in bearing me in their arms. At length, however, Morano submitted to reason and consented that Cesario should first prepare some cottage to receive him. Emily, now that he had recovered his senses, was about to withdraw from the corridor, when a message from Antoni commanded her to do so, and also that the Count, if he was not already gone, should quit the castle immediately. Indignation flashed from Morano's eyes and flushed his cheeks. Tell Montoni, said he, that I shall go when it suits my own convenience, that I quit the castle he dared to call his, as I would the nest of a serpent, and this is not the last he shall hear from me. Tell him, I will not leave another murder on his conscience, if I can help it. Count Morano, do you know what you say? said Cavini. Yes, signor. I know well what I say, and he will understand well what I mean. His conscience will assist his understanding on this occasion. Count Morano, said Varese, who had hitherto silently observed him, dare again to insult my friend, and I will plunge this sword in your body. It would be an action worthy the friend of a villain, said Morano, as the strong impulse of his indignation enabled him to raise himself from the arms of his servants but the energy was momentary, and he sunk back, exhausted by the effort. Montoni's people, meanwhile, held Varese, who seemed inclined, even in this instant, to execute his threat, and Canvini, who was not so depraved as to abet the cowardly malignity of Varese, endeavored to withdraw him from the corridor, and Emily, whom a compassionate interest had thus long detained, was now quitting it in new terror, when the supplicating voice of Morano arrested her, and by a feeble gesture he beckoned her to draw nearer. She advanced with timid steps, but the fainting languor of his countenance again awakened her pity and overcame her terror. "'I am going from hence forever,' said he. "'Perhaps I shall never see you again. "'I would carry with me your forgiveness, Emily. "'Nay, more, I would also carry your good wishes.' You have my forgiveness, then, said Emily, and my sincere wishes for your recovery. And only for my recovery, said Morano with a sigh. 
for your general welfare, added Emily. Perhaps I ought to be contented with this, he resumed. I certainly have not deserved more. But I would ask you, Emily, sometimes to think of me, and forgetting my offense to remember only the passion which occasioned it. I would ask, alas, impossibilities. I would ask you to love me at this moment when I am about to part with you, and that perhaps forever I am scarcely myself. Emily, may you never know the torture of a passion like mine. What do I say, oh, that for me you might be sensible of such a passion? Emily looked impatient to be gone. I entreat you, Count, to consult your own safety, said she, and linger here no longer. I tremble for the consequences of Signor Verezzi's passion and of Montoni's resentment, should he learn that you are still here. Morano's face was overspread with momentary crimson. His eyes sparkled, but he seemed endeavoring to conquer his emotion, and replied in a calm voice, Since you are interested for my safety, I will regard it and be gone. But before I go, let me again hear you say that you wish me well, said he, fixing on her an earnest and mournful look. Emily repeated her assurances. He took her hand, which she scarcely attempted to withdraw, and put it to his lips. Farewell, Count Morano, said Emily, and she turned to go, when a second message arrived from Montoni, and she again conjured Morano, as he valued his life, to quit the castle immediately. He regarded her in silence, with a look of fixed despair, but she had no time to enforce her compassionate entreaties, and, not daring to disobey the second command of Montoni, she left the corridor to attend him. He was in the cedar parlor that adjoined the great hall, laid upon a couch, and suffering a degree of anguish from his wound, which few persons could have disguised as he did. His countenance, which was stern but calm, expressed the dark passion of revenge, but no symptom of pain. Bodily pain, indeed, he had always despised, and had yielded only to the strong and terrible energies of the soul. He was attended by old Carlo, and by Signor Bertolini, but Madame Montoni was not with him. Emily trembled as she first approached, and received his severe rebuke for not having obeyed his first summons, and perceived also that he attributed her stay in the corridor to a motive that had not even occurred to her artless mind. This is an instance of female caprice, said he, which I ought to have foreseen. Count Morano, whose suit you obstinately rejected, so long as it was countenanced by me, you favor, it seems, since you find I have dismissed him. Emily looked astonished. I do not comprehend you, sir, said she. You certainly do not mean to imply that the design of the Count to visit the double chamber was founded upon any approbation of mine. To that I reply nothing, said Montoni. But it must certainly be a more than common interest that made you plead so warmly in his cause, and that could detain you thus long in his presence, contrary to my express order. In the presence of a man whom you have hitherto, on all occasions, most scrupulously shunned. I fear, sir, it was a more than common interest that detained me, said Emily commonly. For of late I have been inclined to think that of compassion is an uncommon one. But how could I, could you, sir, 
witness Count Morano's deplorable condition and not wish to relieve it. You add hypocrisy to caprice, said Montoni, frowning, and an attempt at satire to both. But before you undertake to regulate the morals of other persons, you should learn and practice the virtues which are indispensable to a woman, sincerity, uniformity of conduct, and obedience. Emily, who had always endeavored to regulate her conduct by the nicest laws, and whose mind was finely sensible, not only of what is just in morals, but of whatever is beautiful in the female character, was shocked by these words. Yet in the next moment her heart swelled with the consciousness of having deserved praise instead of censure, and she was proudly silent. Montoni, acquainted with the delicacy of her mind, knew how keenly she would feel his rebuke, but he was a stranger to the luxury of conscious worth, and therefore did not foresee the energy of that sentiment which now repelled his satire. Turning to a servant who had lately entered the room, he asked whether Morano had quitted the castle. The man answered that his servants were then removing him on a couch to a neighboring cottage. Montoni seemed somewhat appeased on hearing this, and when Ludovico appeared a few moments after and said that Morano was gone, he told Emily she might retire to her apartment. She withdrew willingly from his presence, but the thought of passing the remainder of the night in a chamber which the door from the staircase made liable to the intrusion of any person now alarmed her more than ever, and she determined to call up Madame Montoni's room and request that Annette might be permitted to be with her. On reaching the great galley, she heard voices seemingly in dispute, and her spirits now apt to take alarm, she paused, but soon distinguished some words of Cavini and Verezzi, and went towards them in the hopes of conciliating their difference. They were alone. Verezzi's face was still flushed with rage, and as the first object of it was now removed from him, he appeared willing to transfer his resentment to Cavini, who seemed to be expostulating rather than disputing with him. Verezzi was protesting that he would instantly inform Montoni of the insult which Morano had thrown out against him, and above all, that wherein he had accused him of murder. There is no answering, said Cavini, for the words of a man in a passion. Little serious regard ought to be paid to them. If you persist in your resolution, the consequences may be fatal to both. We have now more serious interests to pursue than those of a petty revenge. Emily joined her entreaties to Cavini's arguments, and they at length prevailed so far as that Ferrezzi consented to retire without seeing Montoni. On calling at her aunt's apartment, she found it fastened. In a few minutes, however, it was opened by Madame Montoni herself. It may be remembered that it was by a door leading into the bedroom from a back passage that Emily had secretly entered a few hours preceding. She now conjectured, by the calmness of Madame Montoni's air, that she was not apprised of the accident which had befallen her husband, and was beginning to inform her of it in the tenderness manner she could, when her aunt interrupted her, by saying she was acquainted with the whole affair. Emily knew indeed that she had little reason to love Montoni, but could scarcely have believed her capable of such perfect apathy, as she now discovered towards him. Having obtained permission, however, for Annette to sleep in her chamber, she went thither immediately. 
A track of blood appeared along the corridor leading to it, and on the spot where the Count and Montoni had fought, the whole floor was stained. Emily shuddered, and leaned on Annette as she passed. When she reached her apartment, she instantly determined, since the door of the staircase had been left open, and that Annette was now with her, to explore whither it led, a circumstance now materially connected with her own safety. Annette accordingly, half curious and half afraid, proposed to descend the stairs, but on approaching the door, they perceived that it was already fastened without, and their care was then directed to the securing it on the inside also, by placing against it as much of the heavy furniture of the room as they could lift. Emily then retired to bed, and Annette continued on a chair by the hearth, where some feeble embers remained. End of Volume 2, Chapter 6